Well, please take a seat. Uh, let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who has been poured out upon your people and who now has the spirit of the risen Christ and works in our hearts so that we can see Christ for who he is, see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He works in our hearts to give us illumination as we look into your word and he changes us to be more and more like our Lord Jesus, bringing forth the fruit of the spirit. Father, we pray for the work of your Holy Spirit now as we come to your word and we ask these things in the name of your Son and our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we'll turn to these verses in the book of Deuteronomy. We're in chapter 16 at the moment. And as I mentioned earlier on, what Moses is doing in this section of the book and this chapter of the book is that he's teaching the people of Israel how they must observe the three big feasts in their calendar. They are, as you can see from Deuteronomy 16, the Feast of Passover and Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Booths. Now, there were, of course, other feasts that the people of Israel had, but these really are the big three. On these three occasions in the year, all the adult males throughout all of Israel must gather together at the tabernacle or at the temple. Now, other feasts were not obligatory for everyone. Uh, other feasts as well could be celebrated elsewhere, celebrated back home. But with these three, there was this command for the people of Israel to gather together as one, all the males in particular, gathering together at this central place, God's dwelling place, and to observe these feasts and to worship him together there. So verse 16, if you just glance down, makes this point for us. Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Booths. So last week we were looking at the Feast of Passover and Unleavened Bread, which are dealt with together here. And this week we come to the second of these big three feasts, which is the Feast of Weeks. And what is the Feast of Weeks? Well, basically it is what today we would call a harvest festival. That's the kind of picture to have in your mind for uh, what this feast was all about. Uh, sometimes it is called the Feast of Harvest. You'll find that in other parts of the Bible. It would be referred to as the Feast of Harvest. Usually, though, it has this name, the Feast of Weeks. And the reason for that name is spelled out in verse 9. At the start of our, our passage this evening, Moses says, You shall count seven weeks. Begin to count the seven weeks from the time the sickle is first put to the standing grain. So when the harvest began, or in other words, when the first fruits started to be gathered, the clock would start ticking. And the people of Israel would have to count seven whole weeks. So they'd have to count 49 days. 
And when the 49 days were finished, the day after that, on the 50th day, that day would be the Feast of Weeks. Now by that time, the harvest was all gathered in. And this is why sometimes the Feast of Weeks is called Pentecost. Pentecost is just the Greek word for 50th or 50. So you can call it what you will, the Feast of Harvest or the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. It all refers to the the same thing. And here in Deuteronomy 16, Moses spells out for the people of Israel three aspects of this Feast of Weeks. Now in the, the very simplest terms that we can put it, Notice these three aspects of the Feast of of Weeks. There is, firstly, a blessing in view. There is a people in view. And there is a foundation in view. Now, we're going to flesh those things out a lot more this evening as we go. But at the very simplest, at the heart, think of those three categories. A blessing, a people and a foundation for these things. So we'll look at those three aspects in turn, and then when we've gone through those three things, we'll think, well, how do those three things apply to us as God's people today? So here's number one. Remember, the focus here is the blessing. And the heading for the first point is this. The Feast of Weeks gives thanks to God for his gracious blessing. The Feast of Weeks gives thanks to God for his gracious blessing blessing. So that's verse 10. That's the the first aspect of it. Moses says then, by which he means after those 49 days have been and gone, those 49 days since the first fruits were gathered, you shall keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of a free will offering from your hand, which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. You see, blessing is what is in view here. Now, there were other offerings, it has to be said, that were to be offered at the Feast of Weeks. Earlier on in the Pentateuch, in the first five books of the Bible, Moses spells out in Leviticus 23, in a lot more detail, what the Feast of Weeks involved. Here in Deuteronomy, he gives a very brief, simple summary And you can be thankful tonight that we're in the simple summary of Deuteronomy 16 rather than the detailed instructions of Leviticus 23. And here he doesn't talk about some of the other offerings that are going on at that same time. He focuses just on the free will offering. And that is the people were to bring to God an offering out of their harvest that year. And the fact that it's a free will offering means... It's up to them exactly what they need to give or what they decide to give in this offering. There's no exact stipulation in this offering saying you must give this or you must give that or you must give so much. Now this offering um, was a a free free will offering. They could give what they desired to the Lord out of their harvest. But the point is whatever they chose to give in that free will offering... It was a way of recognizing, of course, that the harvest is God's gracious blessing, his provision for his people. Ultimately, this harvest came from him. And you notice how Moses emphasizes that at the end of verse 9, don't you? 
a free will offering from your hand, which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. So all the adult males throughout all of Israel would gather together. They would arrive in Jerusalem if the temple had been built by then. They'd gather on that particular day and they would bring with them a portion of their harvest. And they would take it to the, the temple and they would offer it to God there. If the harvest had been a very big harvest that year, then the free will offerings would be bigger in proportion to the harvest. If the harvest had been smaller that year, then the offerings would be smaller as a result. But either way, it's a way of recognizing that everything they had was God's blessing towards them. This is the God who gave them the land, the land that they could farm. Uh, he gave them the grain that they could plant and sow. He sent the rain. He sent the sunshine. He made it possible for the crops to grow. He gave his people the strength to work the land and to gather the harvest in. And the fact that there is any harvest at all, therefore, all is down to God's gracious blessing. So think of those words of Psalm 67 that we sang earlier on in our service. I'm sure the people of Israel would, would have sung this as they gathered in Jerusalem for the Feast of Weeks. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. So they would gather together. They would bring these offerings. And it would be a way of giving thanks to God for his blessing of them. The way he provided for them in the harvest. And it would be a way of expressing trust that God would go on providing for his people as well. So very simply, that's the first of these three aspects of the Feast of Weeks that you need to have in mind tonight. The Feast of Weeks gives thanks to God for his gracious blessing. Part one, the blessing. Part two, the people. Or more fully, the Feast of Weeks gathers together the fullness of God's people. You see, we have a blessing and we have a people mentioned here. The Feast of Weeks gathers together the fullness of God's people. Now, I've already mentioned that the Feast of Weeks was one of the big three feasts, which means, as verse 16 points out, it's one of the three occasions in the year when all of the adult males throughout all of Israel had to gather together in one place, the tabernacle or the, the temple. And so it's one of those three times in the year when there's that full gathering of all the people of God represented there. But I want you to notice how verse 11 in particular emphasizes that it's not just the males or not just the heads of the households or whatever who were to gather together. Notice verse 11. As many people as possible from God's people are to be brought along for this time of rejoicing, this time of giving thanks to God for his gracious blessing in the harvest. Look at verse 11. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. You and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levite who is within your towns, the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow who are among you 
at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. Now, I I might be wrong here, uh, but as far as I've been able to find, verse 11 of Deuteronomy 16 is the most comprehensive list of types of people instructed to gather together for worship anywhere in the Old Testament law. As far as I can tell, nowhere else in the Old Testament law is there a list as long as verse 11 with these detailed categories of people where God says all of these types of people, people fitting all of these categories, must all gather together before me to worship me. And you see, Moses is saying to the people of Israel, when you gather together for the Feast of Weeks, bring along everyone you possibly can from, a, from amongst God's people. So bring the whole family, bring sons, bring daughters. And not just them, but as well as that, don't forget the servants who are working in your household. Uh, they count as well, so bring them along. Don't just bring the male servants, bring the female servants as well. All the servants, bring them with you. And then while you're at it, don't forget the Levites as well. Of course, the Levites don't have an inheritance of land. And so the Levites don't have a harvest that they can contribute to the offerings with at the Feast of Weeks. But nonetheless, bring the Levites with you as well. Just because they don't have an offering to to bring for themselves, uh, nonetheless, bring them along and let them join in with this gathering as well. And then, as well as that, think of other people, poor people, needy people, those who don't have resources of their own, bring sojourners with you, people from other places who have moved to Israel and in some way have aligned themselves with the people of God. They're included as well here. And then as well as that, other needy people, fatherless, widows, anybody who's been left poor and needy and who might be overlooked, don't overlook them, Moses says. Gather them up, bring them all with you. And you see the point very, very simply, don't you? The Feast of Weeks gathers together the fullness of God's people. So there's a blessing, there's a people. The third and final aspect of the Feast of Weeks is the foundation. What are these things based on or built upon? And we see that there is a twofold foundation to the Feast of Weeks. So, the heading for the third point is this. The Feast of Weeks depends on both the Passover and the first fruits. That's the twofold foundation. The Feast of Weeks depends on both the, the Passover and the first fruits. So, if I can put it like this, imagine that the Feast of Weeks as standing on two legs, uh, and it depends on both of them. And if either leg was taken away, the Feast of Weeks could not stand. So there's these two legs or these two foundations that the Feast of Weeks rests upon, stands upon. What are the, the two legs? Well, we've mentioned one of them already earlier on in passing. The first foundation or the first leg on which the Feast of Weeks stands is the first fruits. So that's verse 9. Remember what Moses says there. You shall count seven weeks. Begin to count the seven weeks from the time the sickle is first put to the standing grain. 
Now, this point is so obvious that it hardly needs saying, but you can't celebrate the end of the harvest at the Feast of Weeks unless the start of the harvest, the first fruits, has already taken place. And so as Moses is teaching about the Feast of Weeks here, he ties it back to the first fruits. There's this set period of time, which means the Feast of Weeks always is connected to the first fruits. And so the people of Israel had another feast, the Feast of First Fruits, when they would celebrate and give thanks to God for the, the first fruits. But as well, they had this Feast of Weeks, which would celebrate the end of the harvest, as we've seen. So that's the, the first leg, or the first foundation upon which the Feast of Weeks stands. It stands on the first fruits by its very nature. It has to do. The end of the harvest depends on the start of the harvest. And then the other leg on which the Feast of Weeks stands is the Passover. And notice that's verse 12. Moses says, You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. And so there is this specific instruction for the people of Israel. As they gather together in Jerusalem for this Feast of Weeks, as they gather together to give thanks to God for his gracious blessing, and as they gather together with all of God's people, the fullness of God's people, they are to call to mind their redemption from slavery in Egypt. They are to remember the story of the Passover, in other words. How God, through the death of the Passover lambs, as we were thinking about last week, set his people free from their slavery, gathered his people to himself, and subsequently brought them into their own land. And if God had not done that for his people, if there had been no Passover, then there would be no land that they could call their own. They would still be stuck in slavery in another land, back in Egypt. And with no land, of course, they would have nowhere to farm. There would be no harvest that they could gather in as their own. And there would be no possibility of gathering together, therefore, for the Feast of Weeks to give thanks for that harvest. And so you can trace back the, the Feast of Weeks to these two origins of it. Firstly, the Passover, when they were set free in order that they had their land. And the first fruits, which is the start of the harvest, which they're celebrating as they gather together for the Feast of Weeks. Now, I know that's all a bit involved, but I hope you see how these three things fit together. The Feast of Weeks, standing on these two legs, pointed out by Moses in verse 9 and in verse 12. The Feast of Weeks depends on the Passover and the first fruits. And if you take away either one, then there is no Feast of Weeks. So that's the, the three aspects of the Feast of Weeks pointed out by Moses here. Let me sum it up under these three headings. Let me give you them again. Number one, the Feast of Weeks gives thanks to God for his gracious blessing. Number two, the Feast of Weeks gathers together the fullness of God's people. And number three, the Feast of Weeks depends on both the Passover and the first fruits. A blessing, a people, and a foundation for these things. Now the question is, well, how does all of that relate to us as God's people today? Or to ask a deeper question, and to put it another way, think of it in these terms. Why did God choose the Feast of Weeks 
or to give it its Greek name, Pentecost, as the occasion on which the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon the church. Because today, when you or I hear the word Pentecost, we don't think of a harvest festival, do we? We think of the story of Acts chapter 2. We think of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon the church there in Acts chapter 2. We think of all that took place on that particular day of Pentecost. And the question is, well, what's the link? Why has God joined together the outpouring of the Holy Spirit with the Feast of Weeks in particular? And I hope you're starting to see already from these three aspects of the Feast of Weeks why God has done it like that. So I want us to take those three aspects again. We'll run through them again, but now look at them in the light of Acts chapter 2 and see how they're fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. So firstly, the the Feast of Weeks gives thanks to God for his gracious blessing. And it was that time of year when God's people gave thanks to him for the way in which he had provided the blessing of the harvest for his people. And therefore, what better occasion to pour out the promised blessing of the Holy Spirit on his church than that day of Pentecost. And it underlines the fact that just as under the old covenant, God blessed his people by giving them harvests. Now in the new covenant, he has blessed his people in a far, far greater way, not just with harvests, but even with the gift of the Holy Spirit himself. The Holy Spirit poured out from heaven by the risen Jesus, fulfilling the promised blessings of the new covenant. And that promised blessing is what Peter talks about at the Pentecost sermon, isn't it? In Acts chapter 2, he says, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And then later on in the sermon, Peter adds, uh, he says, Jesus being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And you see there is a blessing in view here, isn't there? The Feast of Weeks, which under the Old Covenant acknowledged the heaven-sent blessing of the harvest in the New Covenant, marks the heaven-sent blessing of the Holy Spirit himself poured out upon the church. There's a blessing in view. Then number two, The Feast of Weeks gathers together the fullness of God's people. And as we saw in verse 11, one of the the strong emphases in the celebration of the Feast of Weeks was that the fullness of God's people were to be gathered together in unity in order to worship God together. Remember that long list of all the different types of people throughout the, the whole people of Israel called together, called to worship God as one people. And again, it makes it an appropriate occasion, doesn't it, for the sending of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would empower the church to go to the ends of the earth with the gospel. 
so that not just the children of Israel, but all of God's worldwide people could in the end be gathered together, Jews and Gentiles, as one people, in order to worship God in unity. And the speaking of foreign tongues in Acts chapter 2 indicates that now the gospel will go to the nations and they too will be gathered in to God's people. So someone has written, according to Acts 2, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as prophesied by Joel was fulfilled during the Pentecost after Christ's resurrection when the gospel of Christ was opened to all nations. Therefore, Pentecost represents a reconstituted people of God composed of Jews and Gentiles. Must have been a wonderful thing in the old covenant days to be present in Jerusalem for the Feast of Weeks, to be present with all of these people from so many different walks of life, and yet all gathered together as one people to worship God. And how much greater it is for the new covenant church, those of us living after Pentecost, to gather together with an even greater fullness of God's people, now that the Gentiles, people like us, are included as well. And to look forward to the day when we'll all be gathered together in the new Jerusalem as God's people, people from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. Why did Christ pour out his spirit at the Feast of Weeks? Well, there's a, a people in view here, isn't there? It's a day that gathers together the fullness of God's people. And it is only in the new covenant that we see the true extent of that fullness. Jew and Gentile, people of every nation, gathered in. And then number three, the Feast of Weeks depends on both the Passover and the first fruits. Remember how in verses 9 and 12, Moses shows us these two legs or the, the two foundations on which the Feast of Weeks stands. He shows it's impossible to have the Feast of Weeks without first having the Passover and the first fruits. And as we saw, take either of those things away and the Feast of Weeks cannot happen. Now run that all through the story of the Bible into the New Testament and ask this, what does the Passover point us towards in the New Testament? Well, the Passover, of course, points us towards the death of Jesus and the redemption secured through that death. Paul says, doesn't he, as we were thinking about last week, Jesus is our Passover lamb who has been sacrificed. Jesus is the true and the ultimate Passover lamb because through his death, we have been saved from God's judgment. And we have been set free from our slavery. You see, the Passover points us to the death of Jesus. And what does the first fruits point us towards in the New Testament? Well, the first fruits points us towards the resurrection of Jesus. So 1 Corinthians 15, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. 
For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. What Paul is saying there is that when Jesus came out of the tomb on the first Easter morning, risen to new life, he was like the first bit of the harvest. He means much more is going to follow, but what's going to follow will be of the same harvest as the first fruits. And Christ's body has already emerged from the grave, and it's done so indestructible, eternal, glorious. And then when he returns, the bodies of all of his people will undergo a similar transformation. They will be raised from the dead if they've died. And they will emerge from their graves in indestructible, eternal, glorious form. As Paul puts it in Philippians 3, transformed to be like Christ's glorious body. Because he's the first fruits, And we belong to that same harvest. And you see, don't you, the Passover points us to Christ's death. The first fruits points us to Christ's resurrection. And so when we say that the Feast of Weeks depends on both the Passover and the first fruits, ultimately, in the unfolding story of the Bible, ultimately what that means is this that the outpouring of the Spirit upon the church at Pentecost depends on the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So take away the death of Jesus or take away the resurrection of Jesus and you can have no Pentecost. That's the point, isn't it? And that's why you see in Acts chapter 2 when Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost he doesn't just spell out to the crowd what is happening in that the Holy Spirit is being poured out as the promised blessing on the new covenant people. But as well as that, as well as pointing out the blessing and the people, he points out the foundation, doesn't he? He goes on to speak in the second half of that sermon about what that blessing for that people depends upon. And he says to them, in effect, the blessing that you're, wit you're witnessing today as the Spirit has been poured out upon God's people stands on these two things. It stands on the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Or to put it in his own words, he says to the crowd that day, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. He tells them, you see, of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And I hope you see tonight what the Feast of Weeks therefore points us towards ultimately and how it is but one strand in this rich tapestry of God's dealings with his people throughout history all of which then culminates in the person and the work of Jesus. And ultimately, this is what the Feast of Weeks points us towards. It's about a blessing. It's about a people. And it's about a, a foundation for these things. Or more fully, the heaven-sent blessing 
of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon the church so that the fullness of God's people, Jew and Gentile, can all be gathered together to worship him. It depends upon the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all based on, isn't it? Christ crucified and risen again. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for these words of Deuteronomy 16. These are rich truths that we've looked into this evening. And we pray that you'd help us to grasp these things more fully. We thank you firstly for the blessing that is spoken of here. You're the God who provides all good things for us, including the yearly harvests. But we thank you for that great blessing that the Holy Spirit himself has been poured out now upon your people and that he now dwells within our hearts. We thank you for the people spoken of here. And as we have this description of the fullness of your people being gathered together to worship you at the Feast of Weeks, we thank you that today in the New Covenant we see a greater fullness as the Gentile nations are gathered into your people. And one day people of every nation and every tribe and every tongue will gather before your throne to worship you. And we thank you for the glorious foundation upon which all of this is based. And just as the Feast of Weeks could not happen without the Passover and without the first fruits, we recognize that the blessing poured out upon your people on the day of Pentecost could not have happened without the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We thank you that he is our Passover lamb who has been sacrificed for us so that we could be set free. And he is the first fruits from the dead. We praise you for all that he's done for us so that we could be brought into his people and receive the promised Holy Spirit. Our Father, we pray all of these things in our Saviour's precious name. Amen.